Welcome to First in Future, where emerging ideas take flight. This weekly podcast is presented by North Carolina State University's Institute for Emerging Issues. And now to our host, the director of the Institute for Emerging Issues, Leslie Boney. Welcome to First in Future Live, a bi-weekly program of North Carolina State's Institute for Emerging Issues. Well, it's the first week of the fall semester in a lot of colleges and universities all across the state, including NC State. From my place at Hunt Library, I can look out the window and see students streaming back and forth. There's a lot of excitement. It's a time to meet new friends, to see old ones again. It's a time of nervousness for a lot of people. Did I pick the right courses? Are they going to be too hard? Am I going to be safe? It's also a deep gut check time for both students and in many cases their parents, sometimes for both, uh, as they try to figure out, can I uh, or we really afford to go to college? If you look at any survey, and I've looked at a lot of them, you'll see at the top of the list of concerns, either for people thinking about going to college, thinking about staying in college, or trying to figure out uh, what to do after college, affordability is a huge issue. The amount of debt that they have, the amount of challenges that they have, uh, making ends meet while they're there, ends up being almost always in every survey the number one reason. If you look at the top reasons for leaving college, uh, expense, number one, right at the top of the list. And there are other elements of the factors that people cite that can also be attributed to expense. On some level, when people say life happens, part of what life happens means could be that they have lost their job or their parents have lost a job or they've lost their scholarship or something's happened that is financial in nature that causes them to lose jobs, uh, lose the ability to continue to go to college. If you look at the increase in college costs over time. I picked the year that I initially went to college when on average tuition and fees for college were about $10,000. This year, $151,000, a little bit more than that. And these numbers have been going up at a rate significantly greater than inflation for a long time, a little over 6% a year, uh, every year uh, over that period. The Result of that is that a lot of students owe a lot of money. Uh, about four out of every seven students borrow in some way. In North Carolina, the average debt is close to $27,000 upon graduation for the class of 19, the class, the latest class we have data for, and that's about 2.8% above where it was. Now, that's not the highest necessarily in the country. If you go to school in Connecticut, you end up averaging owing about $41,000. But if you go to school in Utah, that debt load is on average only about $16,000. So uh, huge differences. But if you add it all up, uh, you find that U.S. student loan debt is has gone up over about the past decade by, from about $800 billion to $1.7 trillion. So that's a lot. And it has an impact of on students, obviously, but also on parents. About 20% of that debt is actually held by people 50 and over. So today we're going to talk about affordability and the importance of it. And we're going to talk with three people who have very different perspectives on that issue, but also some ideas about what can be done. Abdul Rakib Gant is a college student starting at North Carolina A&T State University tomorrow. Uh, proud member of the graduating class of Edgecombe Early College High School this past June. Abdur, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you for having me here, man. <laughs> Tony Blunt is a regional impact manager for My Future NC, who spent much of her career counseling students and working with school districts and community colleges to figure out how to make college more affordable. Tony, appreciate you doing this. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Martha Quillen is a reporter at the News and Observer who's been writing about the various approaches North Carolina colleges have been taking lately to try to help make college more affordable for those already enrolled and perhaps more attractive for those who are thinking about it. Martha, thanks for being on. Thank you. Let me just start with a personal question for each of you. As you 
look back, uh, and Martha, and look forward, Abdur, um, what in your mind makes college worth it? How do you make how do you make that calculation, maybe, Martha, as you look back on uh, whether college was worth it? Uh, well, when I went, uh, you know, I, I had to pay for college. And of course, I, I went uh, a little bit uh, after you did, I guess. I started um, college in 1979, and I had to pay most of my way. And so I, I made that calculation at that time. And, and at that time, you know, people felt like they had to go to college. You had to have a four-year degree to have the best opportunity for a job. I now have uh, a daughter uh, who's in college and, you know, a four-year degree is not the same uh, value as it was back then. You have to think a lot more about it. You you pointed out the cost difference between then and now. And so you really have to make that calculation in a different way. For me, um, and, and I think for my daughter, a lot of the experience that you get out of college goes way beyond what you get in the classroom. You know, you learn those life skills, as they say, you learn to um, manage your time. Uh, you learn a lot about yourself, uh, about your interests. A lot of kids go into college knowing exactly what they want to study, but a lot of kids have no idea. Uh, they think they know, and then they get there and they, and they change uh, paths several times. And so there's a lot of uh, self-examination, I think, that goes on when you're in college. And uh, you know, if you can uh, afford to take the the four years that it takes to get that degree before you jump into the to the working world, for me, it, it was worthwhile. Tony, how about you? Looking back, uh, what? How did you make that value calculation? Uh, so, what a great question because it really makes me reflect on my uh, experience at East Carolina University through the School of Education. Um, back in um, the late um, 1980s. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be in education and I knew that required a degree and a series of tests called the Praxis. Um, so that was the way to go. And it was interesting, you know, really thinking about it now, what I learned at East Carolina was um, I learned how to learn. I learned how to be a critical thinker. Uh, I learned how to navigate the process the process of advising, the process of learning how to network with professors, of how to join other students and become involved in campus activities. I really learned the value of being a student leader, <laughs> engaging not only in clubs, but, but uh, aspiring to be the leader of a club, uh, knowing that I was eventually going to be the leader of a classroom. Uh, so all of those experiences with professors and classmates, and then as Martha said, just learning how to be an adult, learning how to be an independent learner on a residential campus um, <clears throat> were some of the benefits that I obtained. Um, and thinking back now, um, it was completely worth it. Abdur, how'd you make the decision? You've, you've made it most recently and you had a, you had a choice as to as to whether to keep going or not. You already had an associate's degree graduating from early college high school, but you, you wanted to go on and get this, this four-year degree. Um, I made the choice based off of the opportunity. I'm big on taking it as my opportunities as presented to me. If I can take it, I'm, I'm going to grab it. And luckily for me, like college, the cost of college played a big role in my choice and rather than I really wanted to go. In the long run, I felt like I was still going to go, but wanting to go, uh, that changed depending on if I had to pay or not. And luckily, I was able to get scholarships that made it so I didn't have to pay for college. So that was one thing that was like, I might as well do it if I had this opportunity here. Um, there's other people out here who might want this opportunity but don't have it. So I might as well go ahead and take it since it's presented to me. And also, I see it as a good opportunity to, uh, you know, get better jobs. Like I'm, I want to make myself look more more presentable. And so, like, if it's me or the other person, I want to make sure that I, I'm that person that be choosing. So if I can get as much under my belt as I can, I want to do that. I feel like it's a good opportunity to get a good job. Also, a good way to um, network, meet a lot of people, because I've met a couple of different people who um, – who still communicate with people that they met in college as resources to get things done. And I feel like that'd be a good opportunity for me to meet people like that as well. And also, um, like Martha was saying, uh, to learn about yourself, because I know I want to do engineering, 
but it took me a long time to figure out whether or not I wanted to do the mechanical or civil or any of those. So um, I'm also trying to learn about myself to make sure is mechanical what I really want to do or is there something else that I would like to do? And also learning how to be alone, um, that transition into the real world, you know, like I'm used to, I'm used to being home. I have my mom, I have my family there, but now I'm two hours away. I'm on my own, kind of take care of myself out here. And I think this is a good way to learn how to do that. It's a good transition into the real world of, you know, having your own place and you being responsible of you. So that's, that's what influenced my decision on going to college. Earlier this year, you spoke to the State Board of Education about your experience growing up, uh, and you were pretty honest about it. Uh, you had some times of homelessness. You had a mom who was raising you on your own. You got relocated a few times, eventually to found the uh, Edgecombe Early College High School, where you were the only black male in your graduating class. So all along the way, you've, you've made the decision to sort of fight for an education when you had a lot of reasons that you could have could have not done that. What was it that that helped you understand why this was so important? Because I saw what it was like to be homeless. Um, that experience uh, was pretty life changing for me, and it it gave me something to look back on to to know that that's not an area I would like to be. And just as honestly as a black male. I see that education is going to be the best way for me to become successful. So I just took advantage of that. And I was just always looking for that new, that opportunity to to, to start a new path, to start something new, to finally get my fresh start where I can go ahead and start my journey and to become successful. And I feel like that's, that's a big thing that played a big role in, um, with me coming up, just 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 try to remember that I'm trying to get ahead. I do not want to go back to where I was because that was not a good place to be. The school motto I saw was was this: "Be yourself, leave completely changed." Can you unpack that a little bit and and what that meant to you to have be in a school where that was the that was the sort of aspiration that they had. So be yourself completely, completely changed. I feel like that is a great model to represent our school, honestly. And I feel like a lot of schools should go by that motto because it makes you it makes it so you're not afraid to be who you really are. Because honestly, I didn't think that I would fit in at the early college knowing I'd be the only black male in my graduating class. Like I'm used to being around other people like me. But now I'm in this new environment. I didn't really think I would fit in. But once you start following that motto by being yourself, then you will start to realize that you're not too much different than everybody else that's here. And then you end up leaving completely changed by the way you mature. And I feel like the biggest thing that can happen when it comes to maturing at that school is being more accepting of others because you're being yourself and they're being their selves. And you're just, you're used to creating this environment where it's safe for other people to express who they really are. And I feel like that's um, a big thing that you learn in that school. And when it comes to maturing, you know, you accept others, no matter, no matter the differences, you know, they're being there. So we're all weird in our own ways. And that's one of the things I was mentioning as I gave my graduation speech, you know, we're all weird, you know, but that's what makes us unique and make us who we are. One of the things that's, a little bit weird about you is that you have taken such advantage of every opportunity that you have. And not everybody does that. I'm just going to read a list of a few things you've done. You're going to graduate with two or three different OSHA certifications. You've got an associate's degree already. You have a solar energy installation certificate. You've had internships. So in many ways you were completely prepared for college, but you mentioned earlier you know, without scholarships, without that support, it still would have been impossible for you to go. How important were those? And you, you sort of cobbled together a bunch of different scholarships to make it possible to, to go. How important were those in making the decision? They were really important because I spent a lot of time on edge, just like 
do I really need to go? Like, do I really want to go? Like, I knew I should. That that definitely should be a move that I took. But was I willing to do it? That was that was my question. Was I willing to put myself in this position where I may owe a lot of money? But I didn't want to be growing. I don't. I, I didn't want to have that weight on my back coming out of college. Now I got to worry about paying back this debt that I owe. And I was just, I was really just scared of having that because I want to be able to enjoy myself. And I feel like that might be something that like weighed me down a little bit. Like, should I, I didn't want to have the option of like, should I do this, treat myself with this, or should I put this towards my, my loans? And I really didn't want to have that. So it played a lot. Do I, am I going to say it would have kept me from going to college? Maybe not, but it, it probably really would influence the college that I chose um, I probably would have definitely went the cheaper route because, as like I was saying, I, I didn't want that weight on my back. So yeah, and all of you were saying about the opportunities, I also just wanted to put it out there when it comes to the opportunities that I was taking, you have to want it. You really have to want it. Like it doesn't come easy, and if it's if it's presented to you, take it. You gotta want that opportunity. You gotta make yourself. You got look good. You know, gotta want it. Tony, you've heard a lot of people over the years talk about that decision to to go to college, both as high school students working with school districts that you've worked with, but also in community college, once they get there, talking about affordability. What can you say about the, the decision tree that people have to go through as they're, as they're trying to make the kind of decision that Abdur did? Uh, so that, I just have to say that I'm so completely excited and impressed with what Abdur is, with, is doing right now. And um, the fact that he used the high school experience as a way to um, just take full advantage of every opportunity and, and made the most of his high school experience so that the financial burden at the university level is going to be less. So the work went in over those five years as an early college student. Uh, and that's what I say to most students not just beginning in high school, but beginning in middle school. In my experience with um, Scotland County Schools as the scholarship coordinator and Clinton City Schools as, again, the coordinator of college advising and scholarships, and then again with Craven County Schools in that same role. We have to talk to students early on. We, um, this, the opportunities are available if students are willing to put the work in. Uh, it's very challenging to help a student navigate a scholarship um, process in the beginning or middle of the senior year. If that's the first time they're asking the question, do you have any scholarships I can apply for? Because the scholarship application process is the simple part. The hard part is making yourself a good candidate for the scholarships, which begins early in education. It begins with learning at the highest level you can possibly learn to taking in knowledge and information so that you can um, uh, utilize that in making the best grades that you can and increasing your reading ability to communicate better, to be a better writer. Because um, Abdur, I'm sure you experienced in scholarship applications, they're full of writing. Yeah, they want you to tell your story in that writing prompt and um, and they want it to come from the heart. Um, the readers are reading hundreds of applications and yours has to say something to that reader to make them want to select you for that scholarship. And so uh, students have to engage early and often taking advantage of um like you've done, Abdur, with the, the, the internships and with the add-on um, add credentials to your high school experience, uh, an apprenticeship, um, club leadership, athletics, the arts, whatever your interest is, show, um, show your interest to the highest level that you can so that you can be, um, be recognized for that sort of, that, that, um, the, the, the ability to take whatever you want to do to that high level. And, um, and so when, when students are thinking about the cost and the, the scholarship process and the financial aid process, it begins early, it begins 
and, and it happens often, and it happens not just um, at the family level, it happens at the school level and the classroom um, and the counseling office. And, and thankfully um, with you, Abdur, you had a school administration that supported you throughout as well. Yes, I honestly feel like that's a big thing when it comes to just students in general. I feel like every student should have the opportunity to have that same amount of support to help them throughout school. Because honestly, without my support system at, at the Edgecombe College, I definitely probably would not have made it as far as I did. Like our when it was scholarships, they were posted all on a board online. So all the super serious, we could see what scholarships were available. We we're able to see what we need to apply to those scholarships. And throughout that whole year, we're being prepared for stuff like that. How do you apply for scholarships? It's, I feel like a lot of students should be put through that process so they can learn how to do these things before it's time to do it. You know, a lot of people see the cost of college and, and they think two things. One, they think, well, there's not really any money out there that, that could help with that. But they also sometimes see the sticker price and they don't realize that in a lot of colleges, they're there are opportunities to buy down that sticker price. Tell me, as you talk to people kind of regionally now for My Future NC, how do you how do you help them overcome that initial sticker shock and and realize that you know there is uh, the opportunity to both find scholarships, but also to to deal directly with schools to to lower some of those costs. Sure. So the work that, that will take place with my future NC, and, and, and thankfully, um, I've been given this opportunity, started July 1st, so very new in working um, in my communities. I'm working in the, um, the southeast and over through the sandhills of North Carolina, um, and, we, and I have three collaboratives that I'll be working with. And within those collaboratives, what we're going to be doing is we're going to recognize promising practices that are happening in North Carolina. So we're going to leverage what folks are doing across the state and share that amongst all of our um, collaboratives. And um, in addition to that, I'm working with my future NC in the first and FAFSA. So that's a, it's a tracker that um, has been developed um, with the help of Carolina Demography in terms of pulling down data from the federal from the federal student aid website and sharing with school districts and communities how. Um, students are um, completing the FAFSA and what percentages are high schools and school districts completing that FAFSA. Because what we know um, is that that's one of the biggest steps to starting the financial aid discussion. The beginning of the senior year, as early as October 1st, we're going to continue to uh, promote schools and communities and community colleges to offering information on FAFSA, uh, counseling, professional development through College Foundation of North Carolina. They'll spend an entire week in September teaching counselors, school counselors, how to help students navigate the FAFSA. So that's the first step. We know that if if families can navigate that form and send that form to their prospective colleges, that they could potentially be earning uh, grants and scholarships. So we know grants are gift aid and we know scholarships are gift aid. And so if we can earn those dollars um, first, it reduces that sticker price immediately. And then the merit-based scholarships based on what the student performance has been throughout high school, that can lower the sticker price as well. So as you layer these different levels of financial aid together, students could potentially pay very little for a two or a four-year college experience. And then, of course, there's um, programs that we're going to um, to celebrate and share with students, such as the at the NC Promise, which is the um, the $500 tuition per semester at Western Carolina, UNC Pembroke, and Elizabeth City State. Uh, we're going to uh, share information such as the Forgivable Education Loans for Service. And those are uh, just ways for students to get forgivable loans in with the promise of paying back uh, in high need communities in North Carolina each year for each year alone. And so those come um, in the um, in the areas of teaching um, and medicine. Um, And then, of course, every individual college and university has a, a series of opportunities well beyond um, what's offered in local communities and scholarships. There's leadership scholarships. um, And really, when students are writing those college essays, those entrance essays for admission, 
many times universities are reading those to find students a match, a scholarship match that they're aware of that either the family, the donor, or the organization is looking for. And, and in that essay that the student is using for admission um, is actually used to get additional funding. Yeah. Abdur, did that happen with you at all? You applied for, for, you wrote one essay and then somebody said, oh, well, if you do that, then here's this other source. Did you run into any of that where one, one source of funding connected to another one? Yes, it was, um, there was one scholarship, um, was ran through the, like the same, same organization. Um, and when it comes to like writing one, like one essay, it was, what site did we use? There was, um, can't remember the site, but there was a site that we used. We wrote, it was, you could write one essay and then like, you can kind of use this to like apply to a couple of different things all at once. And also, just saving, like, I, I definitely learned, save the essays, save it. After you write it, save it. You might be able to use it again. <laughs> it, it can save you a whole lot of time. A couple of my essays, I either might have, like, reused or just rewrite or, like, you kind of just change it around some to fit to fit the next one. So, like, definitely, yeah, keep those essays. But I can't remember the site that we used, but there was a site that you were able to use that when you kind of just, it, like, it lets you apply to a lot of things at once. Martha, colleges are, are aware that tuition and fees are high and that affordability is a problem, but you've been writing recently about some of the things, the creative ways they've been using CARES Act funding to either uh, deal with debt that happens while people are at college or debt that they might graduate with. Can you talk about some of the different ideas that North Carolina colleges and universities are using to make things more affordable for people who are already enrolled? Yeah, that CARES money, you know, was approved uh, by Congress in, uh, I believe it was first passed in March of 2020. Um, and this is money that came out of the federal government to um, help in all kinds of ways um, to get the country moving through the pandemic. And then there were some uh, adjustments made to that funding, I believe, in December by Congress. And so colleges, there's there's one segment of the CARES fund that provides money for higher education. And so colleges across the country um, started looking for ways to get the money and how they could best use it. And the, the, the intent, I believe, by Congress was to provide direct aid. So I believe half of that money, uh, at least half of that money, is supposed to go to direct aid. And so in North Carolina, universities, and this is public universities and private universities, have applied and received uh, money that millions of dollars that have helped uh, thousands of students. And each one uh, applies the the uh, program in a different way. You know, they'll they'll uh, look at their situation and figure out what is um, you know what is the most helpful thing that they could do for their uh, population of students in the circumstances that they're in. And so at Carolina, they developed um, a lot of grant programs. Um, so Carolina got about forty million dollars in CARES money for their students. Of course, that's a large student body there. Um, and different schools uh, have have um, done it differently. Some schools like um, uh, NC Central in Durham got money that it applied to out outstanding student debt. And also for summer school, summer school in uh, North Carolina is a great bargain um, in the first place. Um, but if if you can, um, you know, if you can get some classes out of the way um, in summer school, you know, you can do that um, pretty cost effectively and it and it uh, knocks down some of your requirements and keeps you on track. Um, and so uh, what NC Central did was um, they paid down uh, some student debt and they um, paid summer tuition for a bunch of students. And you can only imagine, um, you know, if you have several thousand dollars in student loans, the the relief Abdur was talking about having that weight on your back, and I think that's as good a way to describe that as any. You know, it's almost like a uh, a physical burden that that people bear through those college years. So it's weighing on you, um, on your mind as you're going to school. You're thinking about the debt that you may have to pay. You're thinking about the debt that you may have brought onto your parents, 
and uh, and and just the relief that a student would feel at having that debt wiped out is enormous. And so schools uh, across North Carolina, public and private, have been taking advantage of that. And you know, knowing that it's probably a one-time thing, um, they're trying to get it as quickly as they can and pay it out as fast as they can. Um, North Carolina A&T, Abdur, where you are, has started a free textbook program yes. um, to get rid of the cost of textbooks. I'm leaving this show today to go over to my son's school where we will be buying large amounts of textbooks. Um, and it, that's kind of one of those costs you don't really think about, but it's, a, it's again something that if you take that, if you can take that off the table uh, for a little bit, it's one less cost that people have to deal with. Um, and I wanted to just try to summarize some of the different things that we might do and just get you guys' reaction to it. So we put together a slide that uh, kind of shows some of the different ways that you can uh, control costs for college. And obviously, um, there are online options uh, that are lowering the cost for some people, and you'll see those advertised a lot. In many cases, uh, they may cost the same but be more convenient. They do save on uh, residential costs and other things like that. Other uh, places are offering faster time to degree. Um, there are efforts to uh, lower uh, or control the growth of tuition and fees. Uh, we mentioned what A&T is doing to lower the cost of uh, textbooks. Uh, others are, are working on housing costs or food costs and uh, emphasis on grants um, more than loans. Uh, so if you can get um, money that does not be, need to be paid back or is forgivable, obviously that makes a difference. I'm just wondering, based on you guys' experience, and maybe start with you, Tony, uh, which of those, which of these things do you think is, is going to be most effective in helping my future NC achieve its goal of 2 million people with something greater than a high school credential by 2030? What are the real movers going to be to, to get more people to persist through college? Yeah, so I think one of the, um, the biggest movers is going to be career and college counseling throughout the K-12 experience. So whether that be through the work of a CTE director um, and then into high schools and middle schools and the career development coordinators, the teachers um, administration, coaches, counseling team, that whole team needs um, the support um, to work with students and really help them build that four-year high school plan so that when they leave, they will know exactly where, um, where they should start, what type of career, what type of degrees, credentials, or diplomas their career aspirations um, require. And that in itself will be a money saver. So we're not sending students off to opportunities that they don't know anything about, they may not be good fits for, and that in itself will be a save. So that's sort of the prevention, if you will. Um, the actual programs that, um, that are, are going to be very, very helpful um, and that have already started years ago in North Carolina is exactly the program that Abdul graduated from. So at the Cooperative Innovative High Schools where students can earn um, either degrees, um, diplomas, um, in his case, the OSHA um, certificates, and potentially um, up to two years of college credit um, at no cost, meaning no book cost, transportation costs, tuition and fees, those are covered by North Carolina. So that is certainly an option. And then for traditional high school students, the career and college promise plan, where most families and students know of that is CCP. That is where students either take online courses or they travel over or get bused to their local community college for college level courses while in high school. And, um, and the career um, programs and um, school districts are working together to develop pathways so that students um, are not taking random courses, but they're taking very intentional pathways to lead to um, potential career options. And then, of course, um, there um, are other uh, college-level courses offered through high school experiences, such as the AP program, Advanced Placement Through the College Board. And, uh, and successful completion of those courses and those, those uh, tests 
at the end of the school year could allow a student to start college at um, with with credentials behind them with college credit. And of course, that saves on tuition fees and textbooks. So I just thought I'd mention those um, as uh, things that are already established that families uh, across North Carolina are taking advantage of. Question from Greg on Facebook about the question of returning students. We know that there are 1.1 million students in North Carolina who have some college but no degree. Something happened. Uh, it may have been expense. Uh, many of those people are now burdened and they're, they're trying to buy homes, but they've still got college debt or they may want to return to college, but they've still got college debt. Um, and so one way or another, this affordability thing is the kind of thing that lingers. Any thoughts about uh, strategies that might work to help people that are, uh, that had a negative experience the first time return and, and get that degree? Well, I'll just uh, throw in there that that is a really uh, sticky problem and it's a it's a current uh, political issue. You know, um, one of the things that uh, people had hoped that um, uh, Joe Biden would do as he came into office was um, sort of step into that uh, controversy over uh, making college uh, free or lower cost. And of course, he's, you know, not been able to do that. Um, and and there are a lot of people who don't think that college should be free. Um, you know, that it should be something that people have to work for and that they have to have some skin in the game on, you know, that you have to invest in that or it doesn't mean anything to you and your retention rates will drop and that sort of thing. Um, and, and in the stories that I've written uh, recently about the, um, about the money, the CARES money going to erase college debt, I've had a few calls from people who felt like even that was wrong. Um, because they didn't have that opportunity and they didn't feel like public funds should be used to erase other people's debt who came behind them. And so it's a very controversial thing and we don't have any good answers for that. We don't have the money to wipe away all that debt. It's uh, the, the amount of debt that uh, that is owed right now. I think it's uh, over a trillion and a half dollars. And in the second quarter, I read last night that the in the second quarter, um, that outstanding college debt dropped by $14 billion. And these are monopoly money <clears throat> amounts. Uh, you know, this $14 billion, what even is that? And and it dropped by that much money, and it's still just a drop in the bucket. So we don't have any good answers for how to, to deal with this debt. And it's a real, uh, it is a real problem. You know, if you come out of school owing $25,000 or $30,000, you know, you've got a $350 a month, payment. That's not quite a house note, but it can keep you from getting a house note. Mm -hmm. And if your if your delinquency rates are are pretty high and and they're not um, you know they're not off the charts, but the delinquency rates on uh, college debt are are I don't know uh, ten to twenty percent I think. And so if you become delinquent on those loans, even if it's a three hundred fifty dollar a month payment, now you're not eligible to invest in uh, you know to get a home loan. And so this creates a sort of a, a, a it, it perpetuates that generational uh, cyclical problem of not being able to accumulate wealth. In this country, we accumulate wealth. One of the big ways we accumulate wealth is through homeownership. And uh, uh, the generation that's in college now is um, not as interested in homeownership as their parents were necessarily. And even if they were, um, a lot of them are not going to be able to get home loans if they've got these uh, the, these education loans hanging over their heads. And so while I wish I could say, you know, that we have some great programs and some great options for people right now, we really don't. And just to play this out a little bit further, if you look at uh, how the debt plays out by race and ethnicity, you find that people of color are about twice as likely to graduate from college with debt as uh, white folks. It's a bigger and, debt. And so you delay the opportunity because you've got that $350 payment you mentioned. That that makes it harder to begin to buy the home in the first place, which means it may be 10 years later before you're able to purchase the home. And down the road, you see that home ownership rates uh, for African-Americans about 44% compared to 74% for whites. So on some level, this, this begins a process that plays out over time. Um, are there things that you think we can do um, in the near term, Tony, that um, might help those folks who are 
trying to decide whether to borrow or not uh, to uh, make that decision. What are you What are you finding is a compelling argument for for people? So I think it's so important uh, going back to instead of fixing the problem after the debt already occurs, uh, occurs is to really put some some resources into our K-12 system and our connection to the, the local community colleges and then further into business and industry um, to prevent some of this financial stress. There are um, there is a course developed now that will be taught as part of the social studies curriculum, and it does have a financial awareness piece. Uh, and many school districts are putting that into the, the social studies um, curriculum in the final or the senior year. And also um, considering the um, FAFSA completion as a part of that course. Uh, so I think that is moving in the right direction. Uh, I think resources for career development coordinators, more cross-sector communication between our business and industry, our workforce development boards, our chambers in our local communities, our school systems, our community colleges, so that we are all aware of what um, the roadblocks or the barriers might be, and then work together to develop um, resources and leveraging all of the assets in our own communities to make um, opportunities available to students in terms of uh, potentially um, internships, apprentice uh, opportunities. Um, and so that is some of the work that um, I'm looking forward to with my future NC is to be able to, to, to pull together people and bring them to the table to help us address these issues. Abdur, what did you find to be the, the decision that your classmates were making at Edgecombe Early College uh, when it came to making the decision whether to take the associate's degree and uh, move directly into the workforce uh, or to go on to four-year college? Um, it it kind of leads back to that once, like one of the things is they wanted it or not, you know, like did they feel like that that step was for them or did they feel like that they were done, like their their mission complete, you know, some people might finish the high school, like, okay, I did all I needed to do. I feel like I've, I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Some people, they feel like they're, they have more to do. Like, like me, for example, I have more to do. I, there's more I want to do. And there were other students that was like that. And, you know, some uh, students was thinking about, you know, okay, scholarships, uh, like we're talking about today, can I afford it? You know, should I go to a four-year university or should I continue taking up classes here at the, at the community college? It's, it's really just, can I do it? You know, I felt like I could, so I did. And some others, you know, they might have chose a different school. Like they might have, they might might not have chose the school that they wanted to go to, even if the school was out of state. It's all about like, okay, they have the opportunity, but do they have the access to go to these schools? Because opportunity is anything without that access to it. So a lot of students, they made their decisions based off of that access. They had the opportunity, but they're going to go with the one that they had the access to. Um, and like I said, some they some just chose you know, like I'm. I don't really feel like I want to do more. I feel like a big thing that students should be taught is that um, they're worth doing more. Like they they should be like uplifted because I, for example, I did not start uh, applying for scholarships until my principal pressed me to do it because I never saw myself as scholarship material. Because I I'm as a first year college student, you know, I'm just. I've, I've never really seen what scholarships could do besides like I've heard about scholarships in movies and stuff, but I've never like, you know, a scholarship, like what is a scholarship, you know? So like, I never saw myself as like a scholarship material because I'm used to what I've seen on TV, the people who apply for those scholarships and stuff. Like I'm, I'm not like them, you know? So students need to be like, students need to be shown that they're, they're worth pursuing these opportunities and stuff like you you have more worth than what you think and what do you know like I applied for those scholarships I got scholarships even though I never thought that I was scholarship material you know these these students they they definitely like resources for students is definitely a big thing that motivation they 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 need that motivation to and it 
and influence their decisions a lot on what they should do, their motivation. Abdur, I don't know if you had a chance because of COVID and campus shutdowns to take a college tour, to leave your hometown and go visit the colleges that you apply to. Because I think that um, in itself, like being in an auditorium, listening to the college ambassadors, the young students there walking the sidewalks, sitting in the classrooms, telling their story. I have found more students feel so motivated by watching students just like themselves navigate the process and get on that campus and make a difference. And there they are being a spokesperson for that university and marketing to other students. So did you have that experience or was everything virtual for you the last two years? Luckily, I did get that experience before all of this started. I was part of a group called Impact and we it was um, it was uplifting um, minority males and we took a couple of college tours. I know we went to Central. We, we used to go to a conference at Virginia Tech every year. And we will listen to um, a motivational speaker there. And we, like I, I, like like you were saying, like hearing people like like you speak, is somebody as similar to you hearing somebody speak is that's that's a real real motivational thing. I was able to get that experience when I did have the opportunity to take those college tours and going to Virginia Tech and hearing those speakers. I still think back on what I heard from those 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 meetings and it's just it is something that helps me out throughout throughout time when it comes to making decisions i know one of the biggest things i heard was like um the guy he was he was talking about how how it was going to take x amount of time to get this done and somebody else told him like you know that time's going to pass anyway might as well do it and i think about that a lot you know so I might think like, dang, college is going to take four years to complete. Well, four years is going to pass anyway, so you might as well do something, you know? So I feel like students getting being able to get out and hear people speak is is a big thing. Like when a school should promote that more, you know, like if they know that there's something that's going on, I don't want to say interrupt class time, but, you know, try to get those students in tune. Like like, like this session, for example, if they feel like that this is a session that would be good for students to hear, Stream it for the stream it for their students, you know. Let let them hear the advice that there that's out there for them to get. I think there's something really valuable in those college tours that um, that didn't occur to me when I was applying for colleges. And you had asked about my experience. I, I applied for colleges that um, I had never been to and had no intention of going to. You know, that wasn't a thing that we did. And now, of course. Uh, the whole family takes the weekend or part of a week and they go and they visit a campus. And when I first heard about that, I thought, this is crazy. You know, why do you need to see this place? And and then, you know, I talked to my kid and, and I realized you there's something that happens when you get onto that campus. You know, you can see yourself in that place in a way that you couldn't when you were looking at the catalog and filling out the forms and going through the courses and looking at the photographs of what the campus looks like. When when they put their feet on that ground and they walk around and they look at these buildings and they walk into the buildings and and they, you know, they smell the classrooms and they walk in and out of the dorms, they can see themselves there and it opens up a world of possibility for them that they, you know, that they didn't have, or they walk onto the campus and they say, I don't see myself here, but at least they begin that thought process of imagining what is college really like? Cause you don't know what college is like, you know, when, when you haven't had any exposure to it. It's, it's that home feeling, you know, you get there and you're like, this feels like home, you know, like mm-hmm. I see myself being here. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what this. Feel, I don't even know what the feeling is, and I and I've had it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, you just get there, and you you're just thinking like, you know, this. It just feels right. Like I I see myself here. I see myself walking these sidewalks. I see myself going into these buildings. I see. I just see it. You know, is this? This is for me. Or like you're saying, some people just like, you know, this isn't for me. You, you just got there. It's just something in the air. You know, you feel it. Just like, no. <laughs> And, and then, Abdur, as you connect that way at that deep level to your university, or if it be a student at a community college, you find that connection, you get to know your professors, you work with, perhaps it's a part-time job on campus, or you get involved in organizations, you learn about opportunities, and then you take advantage of the opportunities that you can fit into your schedule, 
you do um, really just fully engage. And then you find, just like you did in high school, that there are opportunities through scholarships at the university that you can't apply to as a, an incoming first-year student. But that is what can propel a student forward year second and third and fourth year. Uh, there is, there is uh, great resources within each department. So the School of Engineering will have their set of scholarships. They, again, are looking for that student that is fully going to engage and utilize those resources to propel themselves forward. They're also looking for those students to, um, to match with internship opportunities with engineering groups. So take that feeling of, I belong here, this is my place, and do something with it. Fully engage and make the most of that opportunity. If we go back to that slide that I showed earlier about reasons for leaving college, you you see that a lot of it is uh, feeling like they're abandoned. I was reading an article this morning about student anxiety. Um, and if you um, uh, look at what's happened during COVID, a lot of people just feel like uh, with the distancing, uh, they haven't had that support group there. They haven't been able to see those opportunities in the same way that they used to be able to, and you know, get personally acquainted with the professors on a deeper level. Um, and so that's one of the things that's really uh, taken people away. So partly there's the shock of college being harder than people thought, but uh, when you get into things like unhappy with school or experience, a lot of that has to do with not, not feeling like they're connected uh, the same way that, that they wish they were or that they could be. And so being able to take advantage of those opportunities Tony was talking about and the opportunities that Abdur took about took advantage of as a high school student, I think is, is really important for that, that persistence, uh, what people call persistence. Yeah. Um, let me ask about another group. Uh, it's called the College Advising Corps. And so for those that can't make it to college. This is a group of young people that are resident in colleges, a lot of them rural, and it's not the same as going to a campus itself, but they can at least, you know, there's somebody who looks sort of like the people that they're talking to in that they're young and uh, have had a recent experience. What's, what's the impact of having more people on campus that uh, are able to decipher the college experience? If you're a high school student. So I can speak to that because I personally have been paired with the College Advising Corps member that um, in Scotland County, um, who uh, Patty Baines, who um, went on to fulfill a, a master's degree at NC State and worked in the college and still works in the College Advising uh, Corps industry. But these are young folks that are new, fresh graduates from universities that are fully trained throughout the summer in the financial aid um, and admissions process. And of course, they just lived through it for four years. And then they are matched with counties across North Carolina or school systems across North Carolina. And they're really social entrepreneurs. They go into the schools, they connect with school counselors and teachers and administrators, and, um, and then really the sky's the limit on what they can do. They can do parent programs, student programs, financial aid nights, field trips to colleges and universities, uh, bring in guest speakers and host uh, resume and interview strategies. So they can really help a school system create a, a career and college going culture. And one of the things that Patty and I did together back at Scotland High School was developed um, sort of this area, this hub called College Central. And, um, and we had to break down some of the barriers of what college meant. So we had to let students know that college did not just mean a four-year university start for students. We had to let them know that college could mean going to their local community college to earn a credential, to go right into the workforce, or going uh, for a two-year degree and then into the workforce, or a two-year transferable degree to a four-year university. And then for some students, college could be out of state, or it could be an ROTC scholarship connected to a military experience. So, so many different possibilities wrapped up to, into this one word named college. Yeah. And so, you know, we had to break that down just so that people didn't feel like they were um, 
were not attending college because they didn't go to a four-year residential university. So, Abdul, you're shaking your head. You've heard these conversations. I, I, I feel like it's important for students to know those differences, you know, like the like college is college. Like, it don't matter if you go to a four-year uh, community college. College is college because you don't want to have the situation where some people go to a university, even though, like, say they wanted to go to a community college, but they didn't. They didn't want to because they didn't think it was college. So they decided to go to a four-year university and then they ended up leaving. You don't want to have to avoid a situation like let let students know like this the difference between like the, this difference of like you know, all of this is still considered college. You don't have to feel bad about going to a community college. It's still college. You're still you're still going that extra mile, you know, just you're just doing it differently than somebody else, you know. So I definitely say definitely support the idea of, of let students know college is this no matter what you know it's college you know don't so don't go do something you're not ready for and then and then drop out of it when you could have just went ahead to that community college like you really wanted to you know don't don't be afraid to you know do what you want to do very well said martha based on your review of things that colleges are trying right now with the cares act funding which of those do you think is most important or has been appears to be uh, most influential in um, alleviating some of the stress we've been talking about? Well, you know, like Abdur said at the beginning, um, you can't be free. And so any of those loans that can be uh, written down or written off uh, to get that debt uh, off of your back, I, I just don't see how you can beat that. Um, those the, the summer school sessions, I think, were really helpful to people because they let them catch up and that gave them hope. Um, which is something that college students need and, and everybody needs uh, right now because of the pandemic. Uh, you know, people have been so sad and so depressed and so uh, bleak about what the future looks like. And so if you got behind in school, and a lot of people did um, over the past academic year, summer school helped you catch up and it gave you that opportunity to get back where you were and get back on track. And so writing off the cost of those summer school classes, I think, was huge. And, um, you know, while that money is available, because who knows if they'll ever be able to do this again, $14 billion knocked off of that um, of that nationwide debt. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, and so I, I just think, you know, you can't be free. So writing off that debt is uh, just the, the, the relief of having that burden knocked down. And, and maybe next year they're going to have to take on more debt. But and, and all debt is not inherently bad. You know, you build a credit history, you build some discipline into that. Uh, you learn to prioritize, you know, what am I going to uh, buy? What am I not going to buy? Because I have these uh, payments that I have to make. So all debt is, is not inherently bad. And if you come out of school with a few thousand dollars debt, you know, you can manage that. If you come out of school with $30,000 debt, that's going to have an impact on the next 10 to 15 years of your life. So knocking that down, I, I just don't see how you can beat that. Martha Quillen, thank you for your writing about education and religion and so many different topics for the News Observer. Really appreciate your being with us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for your work with My Future NC as a regional manager, helping to figure out what the regional solutions on these topics are and for all your work over the years with scholarships. I appreciate being here. Thank you. Abdur, starting a big adventure tomorrow. You're Gosh, you're so well prepared. <laughs> it's, it's so fun to see and just kind of imagine where you're going from here. It was um, it was this it was this was a good experience. You know, it was a good call. I really enjoyed this, and hopefully, I get to do it again. You know. All right, that's our show for today. First and Future Live is based on an idea from the Institute for Emerging Issues Communications Director Greg Hedgepath. It's produced by James Herrick. We had help with research today from Simone Coleman and slides with uh, Renee Potts. Social media and chat, we had help from uh, Kirsten Chang. Special thanks today to Mevin Rash for, from EdNC and Cecilia Holden with My Future NC. We hope you'll join us in a couple of weeks, uh, two weeks from today, at this same bat time, same bat channel, when the subject's going to be the power of local support to increase educational attainment. What are communities doing on a local level to increase the percentage of people with some sort of meaningful credential beyond high school? If you'd like to donate to the Institute for Emerging Issues, we have a website, emergingissues.org. We'd love to have your support. If you have ideas about uh, how to uh, take on some of the big emerging issues that we have, 
uh, please share them with us for the website support. Uh, it's iii.ncsu.edu. Um, that's where you can find out how to support the Institute for Emerging Issues. I'm Leslie Boney. For all of us at the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State, thanks for joining us. We'll see you in the future. Thank you for listening to First in Future, where emerging ideas take flight. This weekly podcast has been presented by the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. Please visit us online at emergingissues.org.